1: When is it enough already? That's the perennial question in any sell-off, even a small one. How do you tell the difference between a stock that's gotten too cheap and a stock that is totally radioactive? You know, we see this battle play out every single day in this market in individual stocks, but sometimes they can set the backdrop for the whole session like they did today. Dow lost 44 points, SP declined 0.20%, Nasdaq sank (laughs) 0.38%. Let me give you some examples, because it, it's so stark today. It's really a terrific day to learn. You need to be able to tell the difference between value and a value trap. And I want to get a bear trap here. You know, one of those that goes like. All right, take FedEx. Now, today, a major research firm cut their estimates for FedEx and lowered the price target. Why? The analysts implied there's nothing new here, just the same old slowdown story that may still need to be baked into the share price. I read the piece as incredibly negative and figured FedEx would get steamrolled. Au contraire, mon frere. The stock didn't get hit at all. It actually powered higher. It closed up at $1.93 after the relentless decline in FedEx. The darn thing plummeted from 199 in mid-April down to 150 and changed its lows last week before rebounding to, you know, yesterday 159. I expected this number cut to set the stock back. I figured, okay, retest, right? Come right back there? No. Not at all. Instead, it managed to work its way higher. For me, that's a, what I call a file away. File it away, meaning the worst may be over at last for FedEx because the stock's now able to bounce on bad news. If an analyst is cutting numbers and that cut can't knock the stock down, (laughs) that means you won't get hurt. Wow. That does look like it could be a bottom. Pretty amazing. huh? All Right now, if you believe the president can work out a deal with China, can I tell you something? This is the one to buy. I mean, this makes a lot of sense here, because even if the estimates are too high, an end to the trade war will send the stock into the stratosphere. And if the trade war continues, well, I have to start thinking that the bad news after this piece today is baked in. And that is fabulous. That's what I want in the stock. All right, let's try another. Apple Salesforce. On Monday, Salesforce told us that it's buying Tableau software for $15.7 billion in an all-stock deal. Remember, Mark was on, okay, Mark Benioff, the co-CEO, and the stock plummeted in response. All right, so here we go. Boom. All right. That's the buy. It's from 161 to 52 in a single day. Now, I think move is brilliant because the company needs Tableau's analytics technology. Just today, I spoke with a tech guy who was raving about how easy it is to use Tableau's platform to analyze trends. I was saying that Salesforce already has a gigantic treasure trove of data from its clients. Combine that with Tableau, and you have a potentially unbeatable combination. At the very least, I bet they'll be able to beat Microsoft, which is the largest competitor in the enterprise software space. that's it. Nobody seems to care about whether it's a good idea or not, even, you know, even though I can tell you that there are going to be a huge number of clients that they're going to pick up. Investors fled the stock en masse because of worries about dilution. I mean, this was actually, you know, they took a look at how much it was going to cost and realized it was going to cost too much, at least in their eyes. Well, that's normal in these big old stock transactions. The sell in Salesforce was, though, pretty extreme, especially after the company reported a terrific quarter just a few days before, okay? The thing that drives me crazy is that we have been through this in general, but in specific with the stock of Salesforce. Uh, They uh, bought Mulesoft last year. The stock got hammered on the news, but the decline only lasted for a couple of weeks, and then Salesforce stock came roaring back. I think you may end up looking at this latest single merger-induced pullback and say, you know what? I think the worst is over. I think that the stock up today means buy, buy, buy. It would not shock me, because you know why? That was easy. It can be that easy. Now, maybe it's too soon to buy this one. That said, ever since the news broke, I've been waiting for the stock to have one day a bounce to give us some sign that it's uh, forming for a bottom. With Salesforce up $1.13 today, it sure does look interesting. I'm endorsing it half position now, half position later. Or how about another one that's been in the news that I w- had a brush with uh, on uh, Squawk on the Street on Monday? United Technologies. Over the weekend, we learned that this company is merging with Raytheon. That's the huge high-tech defense contractor. It's a confusing deal, but if the regulators let it happen, it will create a fantastic aerospace and defense company. What makes it confusing? Okay, United Technologies is in the process of breaking itself up into three separate entities. A climate control company, an elevator company, and an aerospace and defense play. Only the latter business will be merging with Raytheon, so there are a lot of moving parts here. It is really hard to figure out what the combined entity might be worth. It is a very complicated story. On top of that, Raytheon isn't the cleanest takeover target. The Defense contractors reporting a series of suboptimal quarters, in part because of some problems in their most fabled division, the missile manufacturing business. That's another complication. Then. Last night, Bill Ackman, the notorious activist hedge fund manager who has has a position in United Technologies, comes out against the deal, tells CEO Greg Hayes in a letter, dear Greg, that he may have to fight the transaction. So what happens? The stock falls from 132 Friday to 122 yesterday. But today it managed to bounce, tacking you on $1.13. At these prices, once again, I think United Technologies is hot enough. In other words, at last, it's a buy. That said, you need to be very careful with these uh, what I call sentiment-based bottom calls. Like, here's the best one of, of where I, look, I'm going to give you the ones I screwed up on, like, uh, Facebook, okay? If you thought all the bad news about the company's privacy practices was baked in, today you got a rude awakening. We found out that Mark Zuckerberg was aware of Facebook's misbehavior while it was happening. I read that and I thought, I, I was reading an old headline. I mean, something that had run multiple times. I thought I'd, like, read the story like 10 times already. No, people didn't regard it as same old, same old. They sold on this. Uh, Because Facebook said shed three bucks today. I could barely believe my eyes. Who are these people who own Facebook, believing that Mark Zuckerberg's hands were totally clean? Incredibly, this story has legs. Don't get me wrong. I'm not thrilled that we live in this creepy dystopian era where privacy is the thing of the past. I'm old enough to remember what privacy was like. It was great. Kids these days don't know what they were missing. But Facebook didn't kill privacy. That was something we did collectively when we decided to start posting every detail of our lives on the Internet. That horse has already left the barn. One of these days, Facebook stock is going to go stop going down on this kind of story. Now, I think it's actually worth buying here as long as you build your position gradually and add more if the stock gets hit. Because I do believe this level, if hit again, all right, is the I've had enough selling Facebook level. All right, here's one where they're not done. They're not done. But it's really bad. Lamb Research, LRCX. Today, this semiconductor equipment maker got hit with a big downgrade. The analyst suggested some major orders are being pushed out. When I read that, I said, tell me something I don't know. Of course they're being pushed out. The fact that this business is hideous right now should come as no surprise to anyone. I, I figured it'd be like FedEx. I did. I thought it'd be like FedEx. I was wrong. Lambert's got clobbered down 10 bucks today. Alice, that said, unless the company pre-announced a shortfall, always a possibility of sending Dr. Lamb. I gotta think that the bad news is already baked into this baby. The problem with tech though is that there's always somebody who doesn't know that business is weak. And my belief is that the industry is approaching a bottomless and I was too early. well, Wall Street speak early wrong. Bottom line. Look at the end of the day spotting bottoms. Is it easy? You have to figure out how bad news is in in terms of the actual numbers. How much of that is already baked in the stock price? How clueless are your fellow shareholders? You typically don't get a real bottom until the estimate cuts have been made, the stocks have been softened up, and the clueless hot money has abandoned it. That's a bottom. Anything less than that? And you're probably too early, which means you are going to get Hurt!
2: The House of Pain.
1: Steve in Pennsylvania. Steve! Hi, Jim. It's a double booyah to you. I like that. What's up? My question. It's about Lisa Sue and AMD. AMD has been in the news a lot lately, up about 98% in the past year. Do you think it's a lot of hype? or more because of its new relationships with Google, Microsoft, and their rising chips. i got to tell you, this is no hype. This is just pure, hard work and great execution. Right chips, right markets, right CEO. AMD is terrific. Can I go to Chris in Texas, please? Chris. Kramer, booyah. Booyah, Chris. We'd like to take this time to thank you for calling out the Fed in the fourth quarter for their shenanigans. Yeah, Anyhow, you know what? The they day. they had no game. They had no game. Yes. They said, "All right." No, no, definitely they did. Anyhow, stock of the day: BlackBerry. Now that CrowdStrike is public, is it reasonable to compare BlackBerry to its evaluation? Well, you know, I, 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 I don't. I know BlackBerry's up there. I, I don't like BlackBerry. I actually, by the way, looked at this CrowdStrike. It's pretty darn good. I mean, it's had a big obvious day, but CrowdStrike's good uh, all the time. You know, I like cyber art too. I like. Oh, somebody downgraded Cisco. And they like didn't do enough homework. Cisco has great cybersecurity. Sorry, Chuck Robbins. I'm apologizing for the whole industry. Spotty and bottom isn't an easy task, but you know what to look for. On oh, made Money Tonight, I'm my iconic candy company, Hershey. What a cloud pleaser. Should you stay away or could it coach your portfolio with something sweet syrup? Then millennial fashion revolver Revolve is trending on Wall Street this week. But could the fashion-focused company lead your portfolio on trend? And it's a company that's helped over 2 million families finance their homes. I'm talking to the CEO of Quicken Loans to discuss the industry trends. And, of course, what he's up to. So stay with Kramer.
2: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or... Give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
0: This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all, every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com slash apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com slash apps.
2: No matter how the economy looks, consumers will always have an appetite for something sweet. But when a company known for stability gets a big kiss from investors, can the stock
1: still be as smooth as chocolate? Okay, how does a formerly placid stock suddenly catch fire? Look at Hershey, the household name candy company that makes Reese's, Kit Kats, Almond Joy, Twizzlers, and a host of other brands, including, at least they distribute, Cadbury. I mean, isn't that incredible? For years, this stock felt like dead money to me. It's trading sideways around the $100 level. Hershey paid you a decent yield at those levels, but it didn't give you much in the way of share appreciation, as you can see, little wilderness here, okay? However, in the past few months, this thing has just completely taken off. I mean, I look at it every day, it goes up. It's really amazing. It starts from 105 at the beginning of the year to 138 today. This is a rocket ship, and that is a large cap stock move that's hard to believe. This is a placid stock. You don't get this kind of move on this, so what the hell's going on? Obviously, some of that strength had to do with slowdown worries, when investors think the economy's getting softer, they move their money into safe, consistent stocks like this one. But that is really only part of the story. There are plenty of packaged good stocks that haven't moved at all, that haven't benefited from a perfect environment. Hey, Heinz, Kraft Heinz, well, there's one. Jeez, isn't that incredible? And they put these ETFs together, and these stocks are so different. That's incredible. Hershey has something else going for it. The company's relatively new management team has been executing on a very smart turnaround plan for the past couple of years, and their moves are finally paying off. So tonight, I want to explain the recent run in Hershey. I love doing these kinds of pieces. I think it's really important for you to understand, how did that stock get somewhere? And I'm not sure the stock is worth necessarily owning at these levels. This is more of an instructional piece. Now that the Fed is your friend, Uh, But there is a level where I'd be a buyer. But most importantly, I need you to understand the context of why stocks like this move. So why would Hershey's belong in your shopping list? It's not necessarily in your portfolio right now. Okay, the turnaround started over two years ago in March of 2017 when Michelle Buck was made CEO. At first, the company hit a few speed bumps. You had everything from worries about the consumer banning candy, remember that period, to rising cocoa prices, holy cow, to a general sense that the company was rudderless all of which conspired to keep a lid on the stock. And look, those fears were not groundless at all. But over the past year or so, Hershey has made a spectacular recovery with the stock falling 48% over the last 12 months. Who said you can't make money with placid consumer packaged goods stocks? So how did Buck do it? First, even before she was promoted to CEO, Hershey had been gradually diversifying away from its core candy business, something Buck spearheaded back when she was the chief operating officer. The company made a series of acquisitions in the snack food space, like Crave, that's with a K, jerky, and Bark Thins, We have some bark thins. I think they look really good. Doesn't look like Hershey stuff. You know, it looks like one of those like kind bars thing or something. Once she was sworn in as CEO, she increased the pace of these deals. In December 2017, the company announced the acquisition of Amplify. Remember that? That's the maker of Skinny Pop. Then last fall, Hershey snapped up Pirate's Booty. Okay. It's called Pirate Brands, but it makes Pirate's Booty. I actually like both of these. These deals were small. But all these modest acquisitions have returned Hershey to well modest, low single-digit growth. Now that may not sound like much, but a few years ago, people would have even been shocked to get even low single-digit growth from this company. As Buck told the Big Consumer Analyst Group of New York or a conference back in February, she bought Amplify and Pirate brands because their businesses with solid margins and mid to high single-digit growth. More importantly, she said, "quote These brands add additional depth and incrementality to our already amazing portfolio of brands." End quote when you look at this, you know she's right. In other words, Hershey's now a diversified snacking company. It's no longer this, okay, with exposure to both sweet and savory rather than just a pure candy play. And that is how you grow a business. At the same time, Buck has been aggressively, uh, she's been cutting unnecessary costs. Even as cocoa prices rose, Hershey's operating margin amazingly increased from under 20% to in 2016 up to 22% now, or at least nearly 22. The companies used these savings to reinvest in the business, including bulking up their digital advertising. That's called a flywheel or also a virtuous circle. What else? Well, Hershey gets 89% of its sales from North America, therefore not hurt that much by the strong dollar. Their international segment has been a problem. As recently as 2017, the overseas business was losing money. Buck has turned international around by focusing on the right markets, allowing the foreign division to deliver solid growth and much better earnings. Of course, the fact that Hershey so domestically focused is one reason why the stock was able to roar higher last month when everyone else was panicked about the trade war, right? And the rest of the market was getting hammered. This is not a trade war stock the opposite. At the end of the day, though, Hershey's most important business is indeed candy. This isn't the greatest industry at the moment, as younger generations focus on health and wellness. But Hershey doesn't need to take tons of market share in candy. It just needs to defend what it already has. Remember, this is a house of beloved brands, not only Hershey's, but also Reese's and Kit Kat and Icebreakers. I didn't know why these would be beloved, but people tell me they're beloved. Oh, my executive producer's daughter loves them. Oh, what a life. Oh, I guess when you do 3,000 shows, this stuff happens. All right? Almost 3,000 shows. Okay, anyway, so how does Hershey stay on top? With innovation. Take Reese's Peanut Butter, which was my mom's favorite, even though I hate them. This is number one in the category by any metric you'd care to name. Company keeps people interested by periodically coming up with new variations on old things. For example, they recently came with Reese's Thins, which is 40% thinner than a normal peanut butter cup. By the way, it only comes in individual wrapped pieces as opposed to these mass-produced things. Uh, And because consumers love the brand, it's easy for them to gin up lots of free advertising on, yes, social millennial media. The thing is, it took a a while for the turnaround at Hershey to play out. A lot of people just gave up waiting. But now the clock's finally, and now the stock's finally getting the credit for everything that Michelle Buck has done right. When Hershey reported in April, the company delivered a terrific top and bottom line beat, 2% organic sales growth, translating into 12.8% earnings worth. The reason? Because management executed better than they predicted. And the company had a very strong Easter, which matters because they own the distribution rights for Cadbury. Now, this is one of my faves. You know that dark chocolate's actually good for you, someone told me. So, how, am I kidding. It's true. It's, yeah. it's true. Right? It's true. Okay. Antioxidants. Why? Antioxidants. It's antioxidant. Right. What does that make your skin better or something? All right. How about all the snack brands that Hershey acquired in recent years? How about like the Skinny Pop? All right. This grew it at an 11% clip, while taking about a percentage point worth of market share thanks to improved distribution and better shelf uh, placement. We got to talk to those guys from Conagra Seal. They're doing it in this. Remember, they got the big bag. This gigantic candy company has been, has more bargaining uh, power versus the supermarkets than Skinny Pop ever had on its own. You know that often helps us be at the end cap and stuff. The only piece of hair on the quarter was that Hershey decided not to raise its full-year guidance. I think they were just being conservative out of abundance of caution. The market clearly agrees with me because the stock immediately caught fire on the news jumping from 117 to 122. It's been a rocket ship since then. But even though uh, Hershey's got great management, there's a large element of right place, right time here. All the companies purchases, investors have given them a portfolio of salty and sweet snacks that's perfect for the particular moment. I want you to listen to what fellow snacking executive Dirk Mandeput, the CEO of Mondelez, had to say when he came on our show two weeks ago. I think the world rediscovered indulgence and mindfulness and enjoying enjoying what you eat and uh, relaxing while doing it. And chocolate
0: is a perfect uh, product for that.
1: That was long. Mm, Good. More boiling. It's important to get this caught in your tooth when you're doing TV. More importantly, when everyone was worrying about a possible recession, Hershey was the perfect safe haven, a nice, consistent, domestically-focused candy company with a solid yield, currently at 2.1%. Meanwhile, cocoa prices have just plummeted, and packaging costs have come down, too. So has freight. And that's great, because oil is the main ingredient in plastic, and oil prices have been crushed here, too, down 2 bucks today. My one concern with Hershey is that we're no longer worried about a recession. Sure, we think the economy is slowing. But you know what? That gives the Fed an excuse to step on the gas by cutting interest rates. If the Fed is your friend, then you really don't need this stock, particularly after a very big run, Uh, especially now that it's, it's trading at 24 times next year's earnings estimates. Slightly more expensive than both Mondelez and Nestle, but also more expensive than Alphabet and Facebook. Bottom line, I salute CEO Michelle Buck for masterminding this tremendous turnaround. But with Hershey at 138 and investors no longer craving safety, I think you should wait for a pullback before you pull the trigger. And if you already own it, you know what? Even though I just described the love affair, I think you might want to ring the register, at least on a small part of your position, after this magnificent run. Stick with Craig. Coming up,
2: this company wants to help consumers achieve the dream of homeownership. But what can their business tell home gamers about the economy at large? Kramer talks with the CEO of Quicken Loans when Mad Money returns.
0: This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash markethub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter.
1: The red-hot IPOs just keep coming. I thought they might peter out after the Uber fiasco. But we keep getting new deals, and some of them are even good. Just last week, we got an incredible one. I, I should have known this because my youngest told me about it. It's called Revolve Group, RVLV, which is an online fashion play that is shaking up the entire retail industry. Revolve came public at $18 a share, then opened at $25 and finished its first day of trading at 34 That's almost doubled in the last 24 hours. Woo, in less than 24 hours. i got to tell you something. When I see that just keep going up, tell me, big institutional buying. And it just keeps roaring. Today, Revolve tacked on another buck, 3%, climbing to $36 and change. But before we write this move off as yet another sign of of a somewhat frothy market, it's worth getting our heads around what Revolve actually does. Because maybe there's something real here. Don't forget, Beyond Meat really, you know, it it, it just shot out of the gate. Uh, But that was because it was a fabulous story, and the deal was very underpriced. I was gun-shy on that one. I told you to ring the register way too soon. And now, well, it's just too late. I don't want to make the same mistake with Revolve. So let's play Know Your IPO. The real interesting thing about Revolve Group is that it's making a killing in an environment where most retailers are getting killed, other than Walmart, Costco, Target. Throw in TGX. It wasn't that great, but throw in TJX, The group is having a very hard time, especially department stores that are in high fashion businesses. Yet Revolve sells the same stuff they do, and they're absolutely crushing the department stores. In fact, you might say they've become the retailer of choice for millennials who can afford it. All right, How does Revolve work? Well, it's an online store. Actually, three stores, the high-end Revolve, the even higher-end Forward, and the lower price point, the Superdome. Super down. Now, the company was founded in 2003 with the idea that traditional retail was either too mass or too niche. They wanted to create a digital platform that would be targeted, more, more targeted than department stores, but with a broader selection than specialty stores. Then Revolve built their own technology platform with automated inventory management, pricing, and even trend forecasting algorithms They take data from millions of customer interactions and use it to predict how fashions are going to change. That enables Revolve to pick the right merchandise. Don't you wonder if they use the uh, Tableau, right? I mean, this is what you're talking about. Taking that data and making some nice charts about it tells you what to do. The fashion business has always been more of an art than science, right? But Revolve is trying to change that. Yes, they'll launch a thousand new styles every single week in small volumes, and then they double down on whatever works. I think this is a brilliant idea, and, and we know it's working. How do we know that? If you're a department store inventory management is the bane of your existence, when you bet on the wrong merchandise and it doesn't sell, you end up marking it down until the customers are willing to take it off your hands. That's right. Roughly uh, last year, 79% of Revolve sales were at full price. That means no promotion. That's pretty amazing. That's up from 75, which was also good in 2017. Yes, they're doing very little discounting at Revolve because they know what their customers want. And they're not just selling other people's clothing. Revolve has 21 company-owned brands. These are private label brands, but the company markets them as independent because that gets more traction with consumers. In the past year, Revolve's brands made up eight of the top 10 best sellers, counting for nearly a third of the company's total sales. Obviously, it's more profitable to sell your own merchandise than to sell someone else's. And this isn't, guys, this is not cheap stuff. The average order was $279. It's not bad. That, uh, that's how Revolve. Could have a gross margin that they—that's that money that they make after the cost of goods sold—of 51 percent, which is spectacular for a retailer. You'd think they were in the jewelry business, for heaven's sake, not the apparel business. At the same time, these guys are adept at using social media, selling millennials. Yeah, they got 2,000—they uh, the, got thousands of influencers you know, the people who say good things, and, and brand partners helping to move merchandise. That's how the company gets 56% of its traffic from free or low-cost sources. Revolve's now getting 9.8 million unique visitors per month, but Imagine believes the company still has an enormous amount of room to be able to grow. Uh, they've only got 3% market share in their demographic right now. That is ridiculous. This has got so much runway. I really like this story. But how about let's let's deal with the numbers for a sec. In the first quarter, Revolve had 21.2% revenue growth driven by nearly 40% increase in the number of active customers. Not shabby. Total orders swept 39%. Cash flow from operations grew by 31%. And the company's profitable. You heard me. Profitable. In fact, they've been consistently turning a profit for years now. This is not your typical red-hot IPO that's all about revenue growth with no concern for earnings. Revolves pristine balance sheet. I love it. The only negative is that their margins took a little hit in the first quarter. But that's because they rolled out their new lower price concept super, super down. When you look at those numbers, it's easy to see why the stock exploded higher right out of the grade. And, you know, even uh, Andrew Left, that noted short-seller Citroen, he, uh, he he was... He's notoriously skeptical, but not about this. He actually came out with a positive piece on Revolve. Hey, that's good endorsement when a negative guy does that. So where do I come out in this one? As a company, I think Revolve Group is fantastic. Lots of startups like to tell you that they've discovered the business model of the future. But in this case, there's strong evidence that Revolve has figured out the right formula for an online department store. We know it'll work because it's already working. The numbers are that good. Plus, I think that the timing of this deal couldn't be better. This IPO cycle, uh, we've seen company after company come uh, public too late in the lifespan. That was the problem with Lyft and with Uber. Their growth had already peaked years ago. Oh, uh, well, in the case of Uber, you would say last year. Uh, But, you know, you'll uh, come public with rapid revenue growth, but no profits. And then there's a painful period where your growth slows and your profitability doesn't pick up enough to offset the revenue softness. Uh, However, Revolve has already made it through that awkward phase, and the company is still young enough to keep delivering excellent numbers. In short, Revolve, the company, has a lot going for it, but Revolve, the stock... All right. That's more of an open question. At these levels, the Darren thing sells for 90 times last year's earnings estimates, about 5.5 times sales, a little better, but it's expensive. Of course, investors don't seem to care about valuation when it comes to red hot IPOs right now. But it's still worth keeping in mind. Granted, the company more than quintupled its earnings last year, it still might end up looking much more cheaper in retrospect. That said, I just can't bring myself to recommend a stock that's a little more than doubled in the past week. It feels too much to me like chasing. I like Revlon. I, I, I like Revolve. But I think you need to wait for a better entry point if you want to buy it. Here's the bottom line. In a world where department stores keep losing vast amounts of business, you've got to wonder whether, where that business is going. At least in some of its cases, it's going to end up at Revolve Group, which is why I think you should put this stock on your shopping list and wait for a pullback, which I think we can get. It's get It gets to the low 30s. You know what? Just go buy some. If that never happens, well, you know what? You got to say you missed it. Marvin in New York. Marvin. How you doing, Mr. Kramer? So- I am good, Marvin. How are you? Uh, the question I have is: You know, Macy's. Uh, you know, Macy uh, has nineteen billion to twenty-one billion dollars worth of real estate. Uh, the, the one piece of property in, in Manhattan alone is worth eight billion. Uh, Macy's market cap is six billion eight hundred million. So that one piece of property could buy all the stock. Uh, the net income on Macy's is one billion one hundred million. The EPS, earning per share, is three fifty-eight. Right. Uh, with a PE of twenty, right. the stock should be seventy. On it. Uh, I'm yeah, surprised it. some hedge fund Carl Icahn somebody will come in there and and buy a lot of stock and, and force their hand. I, well, I, I, really I You know, Starboard did a good analysis. Uh, it was okay analysis of the real estate, and they got nowhere near those numbers. I think those numbers are wild high. Also, the growth is really suspect. That's why it sells for about seven times earnings. I'm not buying into this one. I am very sorry. I like the company very much, but not as a real estate play. More as a get paid the wait before it catches on fire and GDF. Jeff Gannett gets the job right. All right, some retail businesses ending up in Revolve Group. Wait for a pullback, though, before you pull the trigger. Much more mad money hit. With roughly 50 million residential properties and 10 trillion in amassed debt, the American mortgage market is the largest source of consumer lending on earth. Tonight, I'm talking to the number one retail mortgage lender to find out what's happening. Don't miss my exclusive with Quick and Loans. Then I'm telling you why Eli Lilly and Johnson Johnson are emblematic of the overall market. And the way your calls rapid fire it's tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Today, we learned that mortgage applications surged last week, up 27% versus the week before. Huge decline in long-term interest rates led to a wave of refinancing attempts. Hey, That's what happens when people get worried about a slowing economy. Bond yields come down, lending gets less expensive, and then we get a surge in new borrowing. So could the housing market be ready to start making a comeback? I think it's worth digging deeper here, which is why we want to check in with one of my absolute favorite companies, the largest mortgage lender in America, the privately held Quicken Loans. Let's take a closer look with Jay Farner. He's the CEO of Quicken Loans to get a better... Sense of what's happening in the mortgage market and in his own company. Mr. Farner, welcome to Mad Money.
3: Absolutely, Jay. Good to see you, Jay. Have a seat. Good to
1: see you. Before we get started, uh, I just wanted to ask one of my heroes is a fellow, Dan Gilbert. Sure, yeah. And not just because of the all the things he's done with sports teams—that does, you know—that's nice. Yeah. But of the rebuild of Detroit, yeah. of which he probably, I think, is pretty much single-handedly doing, it. How's his health?
3: Well, as you know, he suffered from a stroke here right. just uh, about a week and a half ago or so. But he's on the road to recovery. Uh, and if there's a guy out there that's got the passion and energy to uh, to accelerate whatever timelines they're giving him, I'm sure it's Dan. So well, we're all we're all rooting for him and, and thinking about. You it. wish him good luck. He's Absolutely. a special man. I'll and, tell him. For
1: and sure. you know, I know Detroit wouldn't be on the comeback, which everyone tells me. Like my wife is saying, we should get a house in Detroit. You know, there's this guy. I said, the guy is this guy, Dan Gilbert. Yeah. Well, we'd love to have you. I'm, I'm happy to help you with a mortgage, too. So, Well, well there you go. I like that enthusiasm for the product. <laughs> Let me ask you about mortgages. Uh, I do want people to understand that, it's, that while there may be gloom that causes rates to come down, there are some people, obviously, ringing the phone off the hook right now.
3: Yeah, I mean, as you said, mortgage applications are up big time. It's been going for a while now. I think the awareness level is up, uh, and we're just we're we're having record months. This quarter will be the largest quarter in the company's history. Really? I think June will be the biggest month we've ever had, Uh, and it's both on the purchase side and the refinancing. No, but that's huge. It's the largest. We are the largest. We're, We're getting larger. Most important thing is while we do it. The turn times are remaining low. The client service remains good. I think that's the critical piece, right? We've got to take care of every client no matter how many loans we're doing. All
1: right, well, look, first of all, I, sh- I should have started by saying, listen, I owe you and Dan an apology. Like many people, but that's no excuse because I try to do as much homework as I can. I was under the impression from some brick-and-mortar bankers that you were doing things that were not as good in lending as they did. And then Dan sent me this, the facts, the actual statistics, you're a much better lender. I'm just going to say it, Thank and you. I feel bad, and than I apologize to you personally. Tell me how you do it, because a lot of people say, oh,
3: not deposit bank, you know, I don't know, or just yeah. quick
1: and too quick, and that kind of yeah. thing.
3: Well, I think it's important to understand that there's probably not a connection between an FDIC-insured deposit and the quality of mortgage that you write. So for us, it's about technology, it's about people, it's about the client. And as you, and I think Dan sent you, when you look at our compare ratios, how our loans perform, they're top notch. I was mortified that I was so wrong. Well, I I appreciate that. And it's also kind of our culture, right? You know, I've been at the company 24 years. We're a 34-year-old company. Uh, We care about where we're at in Detroit. We care about our team members. And so we're always thinking big picture, long term, are we doing the right things to make the best decisions, lend to the right people? I think that's important too, Jim. Sometimes I wonder, we've got Fannie, Freddie. FHA, they set these mortgage guidelines and it's our responsibility to follow those guidelines properly. But
1: even though you're not a brick and mortar, you follow you're not under regulated. That's another rap that well, they told me. You
3: well know, we've got the states regulating us, we've got the right. C F P B regulating us, and we've got to follow all that regulation, but we also gotta make sure that You know, the the police officer in your community, the school teacher in your community, we got to make sure they get those loans. And so it's doing everything properly and right and also reaching out to everybody that deserves to get financing here in the country.
1: So what's the relationship
3: between this low unemployment rate and the default rate for you? What are you seeing? I think any time that we've got uh, unemployment rates so low, defaults are going to be less, and that's a beautiful thing. It's also important that you take this time and invest in your servicing platform because it won't always be this way. So are you making the right technology investments, people investments? So as we see defaults tick up, even on the best portfolios, you're ready to handle them properly, which means taking care of the client first.
1: Now, other people say to me, Jim, I know you've become enamored of these. You like this guy Gilbert. But, you know, the Quicken Loans, they do no-doc loans. I say that's just completely
3: untrue. Yeah, Absolutely. As you probably know, we kind of sidestepped the, the crisis a decade and a half ago or so as we really focused on conforming conventional loans. And that allowed us to, to make then the investment in technology coming out of the recession that I think others weren't able to do and gave us this ability to now be the largest lender in the country. And so we stay on that path, right? We're right. thinking about the quality of our loan as a servicer, one of the largest in the country. We're actually, you know, we can watch how our loans are performing, and that's, that guides us in every decision that we're making. Uh, I'm acutely aware
1: that whatever rules you do follow could be tightened if a Democrat wins the way. Win. I'll say Senator Warren. Senator Warren's not really a friend of the bank. No, I have no Senator Warren. There are, There's levels of reason by the way, that I yeah. think you and I both know could be occurring. But uh, does someone in your position have to be concerned that we could re-regulate again if we have some of the Democrats who are
3: running now in the White House? Well, look, I think regulation focused the right way is important. Um, what you you know this better than anybody. When you change regulation, the. The impact it has on a business, right? It just doesn't happen. All docs have to be changed. Technology. So what a business does is it takes all the people that could, could be working on innovating and helping clients. They redirect that uh, attention to getting and working on the new regulation. And right. so it, it really better be great regulation that's the right step forward for the housing market. Whoever's thinking right. about it, right. Republican or Democrat, the shame is when we just re-regulate for the sake of doing it and it actually hurts the consumer because now you're focusing your efforts on something else besides uh, developing great products for them.
1: though so that's totally true, and I wish people understood that we want people face to face with as many <laughs> many customers as they can. Yeah, I think that 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 uh, things are fine in the country. That's what I've been saying. But some people feel that things have really deteriorated because of the trade war. Do you feel okay about no rate cut next week? Do you want to wait? How? What's your temperature? Because if you're
3: doing all that business, I don't know. It's a great question. So probably two things. Uh, I've been telling people the last few days the uncertainty around what really is going to happen with interest rates is probably at a high that we haven't seen in a while yes. because words and tweets and things of that nature can really change the direction i think we're both surprised uh, of the talk of uh, two rate cuts coming here <laughs> it's, right? it's just not the whole no water. and when you see what's happening on main street the clients we're talking to it feels like the economy is still very very strong um, so we think about a scalable platform a lot of lenders will sometimes really ramp up when rates tick right. down and then I always worry, well, what happens when rates tick right. up? We're more focused on the long haul. When we have our team members at our company, we want those team members. That's the most valuable resource. We need them here for the, for the long haul. So we don't really play that cyclical game like other lenders do. Well, then
1: you don't. Well, once again, uh, best wishes to Dan. Thank you. You are welcome on the show anytime. You. you are a delightful guest. That is Jay Farner. He's the CEO of Quicken Loans with, I think, a lot of good things to say. Man, money's back after the break. It is time! And then the lightning rounds are are you ready, skate? over the lightning because I'm going to start right now with Kenny in Tennessee. Kenny!
2: How are you, Jim? How are you?
1: I am doing well, Kenny. I am doing well, Kenny.
2: About a year and a half ago, you recommended SunTrust. Their uh, financials were great, and the most important thing you mentioned was the fact that their net asset value was $5 more than the selling price of the stock. So I bought it, and sure enough, it went right up.
3: Yeah, that's uh, a good one. As a
2: matter one. of fact, it went up above their NAV. Today, we have a stock called Citizens Financial Group. Citizens Financial Group is now selling at uh, $12 below its net asset value. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, i got to tell you, Citizens Financial is just too cheap. I'm going to say that you should buy the stock. I really, th- I don't really understand the valuation. I really don't. Um, let's go to, to, to Don in Virginia. Don.
3: Yeah, XCC, Simrex, you
1: No, no, we're done. Sell, we're sell, done. Sell. I know no, thank you. Let's go to Joe, New Jersey. Joe.
3: P-A-Y-S, K-Sign.
1: Pay yeah, I think we already missed that one. That stuff's up, up, more than 200% this year. Let's go to Stefano in New York. Stefano. My father and I watch you every night. We watch yes. a My ticker
3: symbol is
1: AMCX. AMC. No, Purdue, AMC yeah, Network. No, no, we're not going to go there. Uh, we've got so many. You know what? Buy Viacom. Bye, uh, actually, I most of the it. bye Buy Viacom and head up to CBS Media, which is coming up real soon. Let's go to Max in New York. Not Max! Max? Hey, Jim, can you hear me? I hear you, Max. What's up? Hey, Jim. My question is about Iovance Biotherapeutic ticker IOVA. Uh-oh. I am stumped. I don't know Iovance. I am sorry. Let's go to Mike in North Carolina. Mike, Mike, Mike!
2: Ah, uh, booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. The stock is Cisco, C S-C-O.
1: Oh my, it was insulted today by a damn ah! man. I almost got a why. phone call Chuck Robinson. Fly in here right now and defend yourself. was cyber cybersecurity. That was a mistake that and that lend of the.
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: You want to know why this market seems so difficult to navigate? Let me tell you a tale of two stocks, two famous stocks you all know, Eli Lilly and Johnson Johnson. In last week's game plan, I told you that Lilly will be making a presentation at a big diabetes conference this week. The company's locked in this war with Nova Nordisk for this particular part of the market. And at first, their data looked pretty darn good. But then when people parsed the results, critics started arguing that Lilly's drug was inferior to Novo Nordisk. Listen to what Credit Suisse has to say. Based on what we have seen so far, we believe Novo's data are in line with expectations, while Lilly's data has been in line to disappointing, leading us to expect Novo's shares to rise and Lilly's shares to see some weakness, end quote. And that's exactly what happened. Lilly stock plunged from 118 to 112 in a two-day pummeling, because this is an important drug for them. So, so far, it's pretty straightforward, right? But then we get some softer macroeconomic numbers, numbers that show tame inflation. It's just we could be about to experience a slowdown. Throw in the fact that the price of oil lost another two bucks today, another bad sign for the economy. And next thing you know, you're witnessing an incredible wholesale rotation into the drug stocks. Suddenly this group is beloved again, and rather than selling Eli Lilly's stock because it's falling behind a major competitor, people are buying hand over fist because it's a recession stock and it's a rotation, for heaven's sake. Louis stock went up for 3 bucks today, erasing a big chunk of the decline, but it was on no company-specific news. All right, that kind of thing is very confusing to people, but it's, I have to say, it's not just one stock. We're seeing the exact same thing from Johnson & Johnson. Now, just a few weeks ago, J&J's stock plummeted from 139 to 131 Why? Because the state of Oklahoma is taking them to court over their role in the opioid epidemic. Yesterday, a star witness in that case said some really inflammatory things, accusing J&J of doing, and I quote, Everything it possibly could do to get doctors to prescribe more and more opioids, end quote. The testimony? Devastating. On top of that, today, J&J lost a talc cancer case in California, which is bad news for the class action lawsuits over the same thing. Now, this should have been a double whammy, Right. Yet what happens? The stock continues its winning streak, finishing up 1.36% today. The stock's actually ch- set up to challenge its old high, uh, and that, that high had been reached before the Reuters and New York Times articles that accused them of covering up the, uh, the asbestos in its baby powder story. Remember, that is just really alleged. All right, these two instances would have laid to waste J&J stock just a few weeks ago. Now they don't even matter? Yeah, so the next time you're ready to dump a stock because of some company-specific bad news, remember that there's more to the action than that. When your sector comes back into style on the Wall Street fashion show, it can cancel out an enormous amount of bad news. Eli Lilly and J&J are high-quality companies that always lead the way when we get this kind of rotation, which is what happens when people are worried about a slowing economy. The rotation trumps the news flow. Ooh, but there is a problem. Traders will rotate back out of these safe, consistent slowdown stocks the moment the Federal Reserve decides to cut rates and breathe new life in the economy. Then it'll be the exact opposite. No amount of good news will make these stocks exciting if money managers think they can make more money in the cyclicals. Stick with Craig. You know, I've been saying only a couple major retailers have been able to do well in this environment. I've said that Costco is doing well, Walmart's doing well, and Target's doing well. Let's add two more to the list. RH, the old Restoration Hardware reported a terrific number and a giant guide up, and they said that they are dealing with these tariffs okay. And then Lululemon, once again, I told you this would be a good one, with just a spectacular number, and again saying we are going to triumph over the tariffs. It looks like these retailers have learned how to be able to state their case to you. I wish there were more retailers I could recommend right now, but you know what? We're going to keep the list short because so many that are in the mall are doing so badly. I really thought that Dave & Buster's might be good, and that was really hurt by mall stores. So let's be very careful. Very few retailers are working. I like to say there's always a little market somewhere, and I promise you i would find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer and I will see you tomorrow.